Hello, and welcome back to Grim and Whim. Today, we're going to be looking into one of my personal favorite internet trends. And it's been around for a while, but it's sort of started popping up on TikTok recently. I've been seeing a ton of people doing the Uncanny Valley makeup trend. And I really, really love the makeup looks. I love, you know, the creepy vibes. And I just really wanted to talk about the Uncanny Valley today. And if you are listening to the podcast version of Grim and Whim, I definitely recommend at least Googling what Uncanny Valley is, um, just to see some pictures, just to get kind of a reference. This phenomenon is a visual phenomenon and it definitely benefits from actually seeing and you know really taking in the uncanny valley examples essentially the term uncanny valley refers to the relationship between human-like appearances of a robotic creature or object and basically this uncanny valley sensation is the sensation that human beings feel whenever we see this type of like humanoid creature and the emotional response that it evokes which is typically one of uneasiness or even fear and it often makes people just feel really uncomfortable, you know, looking at it. And you instantly feel uneasy because our brains are wired to look at something and determine whether or not it's human or not. And we do this as a survival mechanism. And so these realistic robots or androids that mimic human appearance and movement, but they're not completely convincing, this often will trigger the uncanny valley. We also see the uncanny valley in movies. One of the major examples is like the Polar Express. Um, but honestly, whenever I think of uncanny valley, you know, moments in movies, I actually refer back to like Star Wars. So whenever they've tried to take an actor who has aged as humans do and they try to you know take this technology and manipulate it and make it look like their younger selves and this happens quite a bit in star wars um, i will provide some examples some visual examples um, that's where my mind first goes to and like you can see like okay yeah it kind of looks like the actor back when they were younger but your brain still knows mm, something's a little bit off and that really is what the uncanny valley theory is all about it's about something trying to pass as human but you can just sort of tell that something's not quite right, something's off. And I came across this concept, you know, a couple years ago, kind of scrolling on Reddit and um, definitely, you know, throughout the years, I've seen more examples of the uncanny valley. But the term actually 
has been around for decades, if you can believe it. In the 1970s, the concept was originally coined by a robotics professor named Masahiro Mori. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But as humanoid robots have become more prevalent and more lifelike, people are becoming more interested in the concept of, you know, what is the uncanny valley and what's going to happen when humanoid, you know, robots, creatures, you know, artificial intelligence, what if it does become more and more lifelike? And what if we start to not be able to differentiate between what is so clearly human and so clearly machine? So that's what we're going to be getting into today and strap in because it is definitely a rabbit hole and the more you look into it, the more bizarre and crazy the concept of Uncanny Valley is. So yeah, let's just go ahead and we'll hop right in. One of my favorite examples of the Uncanny Valley theory is in the humanoid robot named Nadine. And she is a customer service type of socially intelligent robot. So her role is really to serve and to support humans. And I would say that as we go through the list um, that we're going to go through today, it becomes progressively more um, controversial, harmful, um, and definitely raises some ethical concerns. But I would say that Nadine is more of a harmless example of a humanoid robot and really doesn't have as many ethical um, dilemmas as the ones that we're going to talk about going forward. So basically, Nadine is a humanoid robot that can assist people. Um, specifically, she was designed um, to support people with special needs by reading them stories, putting them on Skype sessions, sending emails, and also communicating with other members of the family. And she can also play the role of sort of like a receptionist, um, like in an office setting, you know, keeping track of schedules, making phone calls, um, things like that. And so it's kind of cool that she has, you know, these really helpful abilities. And for older people specifically, and for people with dementia, a robot like Nadine can be pretty helpful and can be really, you know, beneficial for completing, you know, everyday life tasks that can become more difficult as we get older. She has even led bingo games. Like she's even gone to um, uh, support elderly people at the Bright Hill Evergreen Home in Singapore. Um, she actually interacted with the patients there and was like playing bingo with them, which is kind of cool. You know, it's kind of fun. She was developed by researchers in Singapore 
in 2013. And she has incredibly realistic skin. She also has hair um, and she can, you know, sort of replicate facial expressions that human beings commonly have. And so she's actually able to recognize faces, speech patterns, gestures, and objects. And so, like I said, she can be incredibly helpful. A thorough study was conducted on the interaction of these socially intelligent robots, and they basically were monitoring and observing um, the robots with the patients, and these patients had minor dementia symptoms. And you can actually watch these interactions on the Nadine YouTube channel. And like I said, it's a pretty innocent, um, very well monitored type of robot, you know, very specific programming, very specific um, purpose. But as we continue, that isn't necessarily the case with all of these humanoid-like robots. So let's go ahead and get into the second example. So the next example is a very terrifying concept for me, and that is using robots as teachers in the classroom. And if you're new to Grim and Whim, then you may not know that I'm actually a special education teacher um, at the elementary age level. I have been a teacher for seven years, and I'm incredibly passionate about growing myself as an educator, um, specifically with empowering students to, you know, learning to advocate for themselves and, you know, learning about um, mindfulness and like social responsibility and having empathy for others. And so I'm not exactly thrilled about the idea of robots trying to fill the role of a teacher especially considering teachers do a lot more than simply teach, you know, especially at the elementary age level. So with all that being said, there really are a lot of layers to teachers that I personally don't think artificial intelligence can replicate, um, especially not in a sincere way. But with that being said, back in 2009, um, Saya or Saya, was developed by researchers in Japan to be this first robot teacher. And initially, um, I'm going to refer to her as Saya. I think it is Saya. Um, she was developed as a receptionist. And so she was actually reprogrammed and introduced to the classroom setting. And when she was first you know, in the classroom, she really couldn't do more than take attendance and ask students to be quiet, which I don't know if you've ever taught before, but you can't just simply ask students to be quiet and expect that to just be it and students to be like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, I'm gonna be quiet. No, <laughs> you know, it's just not a thing. Um, I work in special education and I have students who stim and um, do that for sensory reasons and to, you know, regulate themselves. And you can't just ask them to be quiet. I mean, it's just not going to work. And also, um, that's an unrealistic expectation for a classroom to be just 
completely quiet. But Saya the robot, um, she could express emotions like surprise, fear, and anger, and she was controlled remotely by humans. So she wasn't just completely on her own, just walked into a classroom and started teaching students. You know, there was obviously some humans behind the scenes, um, you know, working to control her actions. Apparently, uh, when the robot scolded the children, the children cried. A lot of the children cried. And I think it's a really weird thing for the researchers to boast about, but I don't know, go off, I guess. But I don't know. I just think it's really weird that um, that was one of the things that they were like excited to share with the public. Like, oh yeah, these robot, you know, teachers made the kids cry when they yelled at them. And I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if that's something we should be happy about, but I don't know. Um, the developers also claimed that the robots aren't designed to replace teachers, but they could help with teacher shortages. But I don't know, just something about the whole thing really creeps me out the human element of education is just so, so important for the social development of children, especially young children. Like I could maybe see robot teachers teaching virtually, you know, um, to maybe middle school or high school age students or college level possibly, but I don't know, elementary age, it just seems highly just, it's just not effective. And honestly, there's just something that is so eerie about a robot mimicking human interaction. And the idea of a robot supervising children really gives me like Megan vibes and spoiler alert, that did not pan out well. <laughs> and honestly, I'm just going to hop off my soapbox now and move on to the next example because I have a lot of feelings about this. And as a teacher, I'm biased. You know, I definitely think that there's a lot more that goes into teaching than just simply making lesson plans and reading through a lesson plan or something. You know, it's just, there's so much more that goes into it. And honestly, I just don't think that teachers are a replaceable profession. So unless you've been living under a rock, I think we've all by now have seen Sophia the Robot. Um, you might have seen her playing rock, paper, scissors on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, or maybe you've seen the various interviews that she's done. But what makes Sophia the Robot so unique is her self-awareness. And Sophia honestly had so much you know, self-awareness that in October 2017, the Saudi Arabian government actually granted Sophia citizenship. And this actually made her the first non-human to obtain citizenship in any country, which is a groundbreaking thing, but it definitely really begs the question, what makes a citizen? And what is citizenship really? You know, we know it's, you know, having to do with rights and responsibilities, but there's also, you know, the ethical question, can a non-living creature truly have citizenship? And what rights and responsibilities should this creature have? 
if any at all. And when Sophia was created back in 2016, people around the world had mixed emotions about whether her purpose and her potential were a positive thing or a detrimental thing. And on one hand, the technology behind Sophia is incredibly exciting. But on the other hand, there are many drawbacks to creating these humanoid robots. Um, Drawbacks such as job displacement, um, the high cost to produce and maintain this type of technology, and then also the ethical concerns. You know, when you shut down a humanoid robot like Sophia, are they intelligent enough to know what is happening? Do the developers who created the robot and programmed the robot, do they need consent from this being to change its programming or to shut it down or, you know... Does it have agency? Does it have, you know, autonomy over its own system? These are questions that I don't know if we can really answer, at least not right now. And what if the robot has desires and dreams beyond their programming? It brings to mind um, the plot of Ex Machina and the ethical dilemma of bringing into existence a non-biological creature with no, you know, autonomy or agency, but giving it this intelligence that could potentially bring forth, you know, its own type of thoughts and possibly even feelings. And the whole thing just feels wrong. It gives off a very much, you know, Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster kind of vibe. Is it okay to create something, you know, give it a purpose, program it a specific way, and also give it some level of intelligence? Is that okay to do? It's really hard to say, and I don't know if we're going to have answers to those questions until we have to basically until you know we start giving more citizenship rights and things like that to you know these artificial intelligent beings and so uh, i don't know it's definitely something to think about and to ponder for sure the uncanny valley theory and just the ethical questions about artificial intelligence They really go hand in hand, and many people are questioning whether the pros outweigh the cons. And this is especially true as we see more and more AI creating, you know, music, artwork, movie scripts, um, and just, you know, other creative avenues. And it really begs the question, is it ethical and beneficial to society as a whole to consume artistic mediums that weren't made by human beings, you know, made by artificial intelligence. In my opinion, I think AI could never truly replace human creativity. But that doesn't mean that, you know, CEOs or whoever, that they're not going to try to capitalize on 
the, you know, creative artwork type stuff that AI produces, you know, you need to pay artists for their work. They should be compensated for their work, but you don't need to pay a robot. And this is incredibly detrimental and honestly, very insulting to artists who have spent, you know, time, effort, money, resources to fine tune their craft. And, you know, they're creating from the heart. And that to me is what really is missing from artificial intelligence whenever they create, you know, scripts or song lyrics or whatever. I really do feel like the heart is missing. I don't think you can replicate, you know, my favorite artist, Dolly Parton. You know, I don't think you can replicate, you know, her lyrics, her tone when she sings, you know, her musicality. I don't think you can replicate that. And that doesn't mean that, you know, artificial intelligence is just a wash and we should just, you know, you know, throw it out, you know, completely. But I do think that there are some ethical dilemmas when you try to replace human artwork with AI artwork. And one example of this phenomenon is AIDA. They were um, introduced to the world in 2019 as the world's first ultra-realistic humanoid robot artist. And if you are listening and not watching, I'm going to describe this to you the best I can. Basically, AIDA is a bionic skeleton with cameras for eyes, and it is wrapped in silicone-like skin. Uh, think Megan from the movie Megan. And on its head, instead of a wig, they actually fitted thousands of individual strands of hair. So it looks like it's actually growing from its scalp, which is kind of crazy. And from sight, um, this android can actually sketch a portrait of a person sitting across for them, from them and can actually paint using a palette and, you know, a canvas as humans have for centuries. Seeing this AI actually create something like a painting or a sculpture, to me, it's just so much more bizarre. And this um, AIDA, it can actually do a self-portrait, but it makes you wonder, how do you do a self-portrait without having a concept of self? And do these humanoid robots have a concept of self? And if they do, if they have a concept of self, does it also have a concept of the art that it's making? And most artists are, to some degree, influenced by other artists. And it begs the question, are artificial, intelligent artists, are they also influenced by other artists? And the whole creative process that artists have, is the AI also going through similar processes? And honestly, I don't have an answer. It's just those types of questions that keep me up at night and have made falling down this rabbit hole so much more exciting um, and also terrifying. 
So my camera decided to die on me. And so I'm gonna finish up this video um, with our conclusion. Are humanoid robot creatures a threat? I don't know. I think that it's going to be a long while or could possibly never actually happen where, you know, we have a bunch of like ex machinas or Megans running around society and causing terror. I don't think we're there yet. However, it's not outside of, you know, the realm of possibility that, you know, these researchers and developers could create a, you know, humanoid robot that is so lifelike that the human mind doesn't register, you know, the uncanny valley feeling where you think maybe it's a human, but something's off, you know? And so I think we're a long ways away from that. However, I do think that we should be aware that it is a possibility and that we need to keep our eyes open and stay vigilant. And I do think that it is important that we as a society do wrestle with these ethical questions about artificial intelligence and, you know, these humanoid creatures. But with all that being said, I hope that you enjoyed the video. I hope it gave you something to think about, and I will see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me. It's goodbye for now, but I hope to haunt you again soon.